0: Good morning. The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew, chapter 2, reading from verses 1 to 12. Glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, Where is the child has been born King of the Jews? for we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him and calling together all of the chief priests and scribes for the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, Then, opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. For the gospel of the Lord, praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ.
1: Reverend Anne McGuinness is the chaplain at All Saints Anglican School and it's my pleasure now to welcome her as she is um, our preacher this morning. So welcome Anne. Thank you, well good morning everyone. What a privilege it is to be here again today. Thank you to those of you who are online and thank you Stuart for giving me this opportunity to preach and I'll remove this and you'll hear me. Better. God, speak through me. May my words be your inspired words. And may our hearts be open to hear whatever it is that you are sharing with us this morning. Amen. I've always felt a little perplexed by the story of the wise men. For many years, I have listened to sermons describing them as astronomers, astrologers, Zoroastrians, rulers, kings sages. And if you are to believe our year 11 students of last year, wise tradies. I have heard theories extolling the virtues, symbols and purpose of the gold and frankincense and myrrh. Heck, I've even preached on them. I have listened to opinions about the meaning of the story as epiphany, theophany, manifestation, revelation and the inclusion of the Gentiles. I've learned that these three travelers Legendary developed names of Gaspar, do you know them? Balthazar and Melchior, Did you know that? And then we sang about them in our songs, probably the best known of which is we three kings of Orient are. But seldom have I heard or preached a sermon about their wisdom. Why was it? that Matthew, twice in that short passage, refer to them as wise. For those of you who know the bard in As You Like It, William Shakespeare spoke about the wise as, the fool doth think he is wise, but the wise man knows himself to be a fool. Going back to ancient philosophers, beloved Socrates said, the only true wisdom is in knowing that you know nothing. And his disciple Aristotle said, knowing yourself is the beginning of all wisdom. I think it was Socrates who said, an unreflected life is not worth living. Isaac Asimov, who is now dearly departed, an American biologist, said something about wisdom which I think speaks directly into our situation, our COVID landscape today. He says, the saddest aspect of life right now is that science gathers knowledge faster than society gathers wisdom. So what is wisdom? It's an elusive term, much like spirituality. It's hard to define. And yet, wisdom is readily recognized. How many of us have people in our realm, in our our world, that we recognize as wise. Who are they? What makes them so wise? The kind of people that you would go to for advice, the kind of people that you would look up to, to learn from, in terms of their life experience. I love wise people because they make life appear so effortless very often. Although I'm pretty sure that this is not always the case, wise people often endure great heartache, great tribulation, and yet they still find the energy and resilience to make an enormous difference in the world, and not only in the world, but in the lives of others. Wise people are best known by their everyday steadfastness. I have noticed that wise people I know all have a deep connection with the source beyond themselves. They don't just trust in what they know or even what others around them know, that they seem to have a connection with a source beyond themselves, that which we would call God or the Holy Spirit. The Christmas baby visited by the wise men of old is the epitome of wisdom. Jesus shows us not only what wisdom looks like, but also, surprisingly, that wisdom is available to us all. We are all wise when we listen with the ears of our hearts. Now before I wrote the sermon, I actually spoke to Stuart about it because I'm feeling a bit awkward. And I said to him, I wasn't sure if it was an appropriate um, sermon to offer because it happens to be about one of the sages in my own life who has had such a great influence over decades since I was first encountered him in my 20s. And he assured me that it would be okay and he encouraged me to go ahead and do it. So you're getting that. Thank you, Stuart. There have been many sages in my life but perhaps the most significant has been that of a man called Impilo Desmond Tutu who very sadly passed away the day after Christmas this year, as you know. He was our diocesan bishop in South Africa in a little town of Benoni which fell under the diocese of Johannesburg and over the years he as I did grew in the faith and learned that in an apartheid South Africa the Christian message of love one another was very important that all are equal in the eyes of God. And so at the time, the church was already well into an anti-apartheid movement, and he was the Bishop of Dio- the, the, the and Bishop of Johannesburg for 1986 and 87, and then became the Archbishop of Cape Town. Now in South Africa, we only have one archbishop who is the primate. It is not like here where there are a whole bunch of, of archbishops and one primate. There, the primate is the Archbishop, and Desmond became the primate. And when our diocese, which was quite a large diocese, split into four, he came in 1990 to celebrate with us as the Archbishop then this birth of this new diocese. And I remember the first time I met him face to face was in the midst of the throng, in the midst of dancing and singing and celebration. And I remember having my photograph taken with him and somebody sent it to me and I took it to my parents and said, look, I've got a photograph with Archbishop Desmond. And my father said, oh, what are you doing with that terrorist? It was a difficult time in South Africa. I was ordained in 1997. And by this time, he had retired. He had, in fact, retired in 1996 as Archbishop. But I had, by this time, established a close relationship with with a convent, with a retreat house in Johannesburg known as St. Benedict's. And I would often go there for a number of reasons, to lead youth training, to lead retreats, to be on retreats, to go to meetings. And I established a very close relationship with the nuns there. And would take a quiet day once a month, and so it became my spiritual home, as many clergy find a spiritual home, and I'd be there very often. And he would also come from time to time and be there. And that was probably where I bumped into him the most. I remember that he would come in very often to wherever it was that we were doing, what we were doing, training. And the people there were always so pleased to see him. He was a very humble man, and he made a point of stopping by to say hello and have a conversation with whoever happened to be there. Never intrusive, always respectfully curious, and usually bringing with him some or other story to make us laugh. He would ask us whether we had any good tutu jokes for him. Now, I don't know how many of you come from South Africa, but if you do, you will know that in those days, there were tutu jokes everywhere, and they were all disparaging of the arch. And he collected them. And he took great delight in sharing them with us. Thankfully, they have disappeared from the Internet, which wasn't much around then. But there was one that remained, and so I thought I might share it with you. You have to listen carefully, and it's difficult for you because the spelling makes all the difference. But at 1.58, 1.58, two young girls ran out in front of my car, so I slammed on my brakes and honked my horn. On the other side of the road, behind the wheel, was an African activist who had to slam on his brakes to avoid hitting the pair of young girls as well. Listen up. Desmond Tutu tooted, tutu, tutu at Tutu two. When we came to Australia and bought our new car, the number plate that we were given was TIW202. Our car is fondly referred to as Desmond. At the retreat house, we encountered the man outside of public life. Not the man we saw on the TV, not the man who was so maligned in the media. But it was here that I learned so much from him from his lifestyle, from the way that he lived while he was in the house. The arch was a man of deep prayer. And I can remember in the morning I would get up early and go down to the little convent chapel and s- to go and pray, to do my contemplation and meditation. Every single morning he was there before me, sitting at the back of the chapel, back against the wall, on his foot, on his, on his um, cross-legged, as I say, back to the wall, in his shorts contemplating and I think oh I'll get there earlier than him tomorrow and I never did I got up as early as 4 30 and when he was there at 4 30 I thought you win Arch I learned later that the Arch got up every single morning right throughout his life at four o'clock every morning to spend time with God in silence for an hour every single morning After breakfast, he would, uh, sorry, after his prayer time, he would obviously go back to his room and then come down to breakfast. And breakfast was in silence. I don't know how many of you have ever been on a silent retreat, but it's an interesting place to be because no one talks. Sometimes there's a bit of music in the background, but you eat your breakfast. You don't have to talk to anyone and no one talks to you and no one looks at you and you don't look at them except to pass the salt if you think someone might need it. And the Arch would sit at the breakfast table every morning and pray the newspapers. And you could see what was on the headlines because he'd either be weeping or his shoulders would be smiling. But he would pray the newspapers of the day, read through them. And when breakfast was ended, he would get up and he would collect everybody's plates and take them through to the refractory kitchen. Every morning. That servanthood ministry marked... That servanthood leadership and humility marked his ministry all the way through. When our diocesan bishop uh, David Bieter died in 2008, the arch travelled to Benoni to attend his funeral. David had been well known in the worldwide Anglican communion. People travelled far, even from Australia, to attend... The service was held in a large marquee on the Anglican school grounds because there were just too many people. And it was the first time that three archbishops, Archbishop Emeritus Desmond Tutu, his successor, Archbishop Njongongkul Dungani, and his successor, who is the present Archbishop, Taba Machoba. And they were all there at this Eucharist. Um, it was a requiem mass. And after the funeral, when the coffin had gone out, I sat with Carol, the bishop's wife. She and I were very friendly. Um, I just happened to be the rector in the parish in which they lived and knew them well. And all the dignitaries were invited out to a marquee some distance away to go and have a wake of some kind, teas and eats and some reminiscing as one does at the end of a funeral. And I sat with Carol as she just composed herself, she just said, I just can't face anyone yet. And we watched Desmond. He'd stayed back, you see, he'd gone to the altar with all the young altar boys, girls. And he was cleaning the altar with them, chatting quietly, asking curious questions about them. And he did not leave until every aspect of that altar had been cleaned and tidied, it was a portable altar. And then he came across and commiserated a little with Carol, and then went on to where I'm sure everyone was waiting to see him, actually. A hallmark of who he was. His courage knew no bounds. Some of the stories he shared with us, imbued with his usual humor, which turned them into self-deprecating tales rather than acts of heroism, helped us to realize how much his relationship with God influenced his every day and gave him courage to do what he did. The Eucharist as I said was very important to him and he celebrated communion every single day. He would take time out before important meetings especially during the Truth and Reconciliation Commission just like Jesus did he would tell us to seek wisdom and strength for the days and meetings which lay ahead. As a deep man of prayer I remember one day as we bumped into each other at St. Benedict's house saying to him, and it, he had uh, prostate cancer, he lived with prostate cancer for decades. And I remember saying to him one day, Arch, how's, how's the treatment going? And he said to me, and let me put it this way. There are so many people praying for me that I think God dare not not answer their prayers. And then he giggled. he's his characteristic giggle. The arch spoke kindly but sternly when he needed to. The last time I was with him was in 2011 when he led a clergy retreat for our diocesan clergy. And I remember it as a time of humorous discourse on scripture. He loved Moses. He could caricature Moses till the cows came. He was beautiful. He loved the story of the burning bush. He loved the story of Moses with the Egyptian. He would say, hey, when?" You're wanting me to go back there to the Pharaoh when I've just killed someone? Esh, what are you asking of me, God? He would say of Moses. But on this particular retreat, apartheid had been dissembled and we were trying to resurrect a new country but it wasn't going the way that he wanted to. And Desmond never aligned himself with political parties so much as with rights and justice of the people. And I remember particularly him offering a stern rebuke to us. He said, do not align yourself to the arrogancy of social status. It is not in line with humility, reverence, and servant le- leadership. Don't do it. And he said to us, we have become free from. But what have we become free for, and that was a big question to ask of us. We have become free from racism, etc., etc. But what have we become free for? Who are we standing for now? What should we be doing? And so, may I share, it, in the last few minutes, some wisdom from the notes that I took from that retreat. He was almost 80 at the, at the time, and he, he's a short man, and he takes me about here, tiny. And he had his iPad, and he was flicking through his iPad, and he said, The devil is a wily psychologist. It, he keeps us focused on our failures. Nothing is more debilitating. Sometimes we think that God is just waiting to get us, for us to get it wrong. Be gentle with yourselves. Our Lord's great loved ones are not the sinless. Our Lord's great loved ones are not the sinless. But we don't have to stay in that place. And he went on to tell the story of of the good shepherd, the lost sheep. And he said, Jesus did not find a fluffy little lamb which had gone astray. He found a decrepit, bedraggled and smelly sheep. Which he lovingly placed on his shoulders and took home. Much like Stuart spoke to us, spoke of last week, Desmond always used inclusive language. It was always us, we, our. I don't think he would have liked too many of the Hillsong songs, which are all I, I, I. Every person he said is a sacrament of God's presence. For those of you who understand the old definition of a sacrament as being that which is an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace, he would look at every person and say, You are the outward and visible sign of God's inward and spiritual grace. You are sacred. You are holy. You are loved. He said the rules are important, but people should be attracted to God by the power of love and compassion. This is what Stuart spoke about last week. The church, and we are the church, should be an oasis of love where people can find dignity and find God. Desmond said to us, love them, cuddle them, hold them gently in a tough and harsh world because they need it. We live in a tough and harsh world at the moment. We need each other. We need to love one another. And he reminded us that we are all capable of deep wisdom and deep influence. He urged us to live a life of balance, to take prayer and to take one another seriously, and to share in the Eucharist whenever we possibly could. He had spent 20 months in hospital with tuberculosis, and during that time, his parish priest a man by the name of Trevor Huddleston, which probably won't mean much to anybody here, but it does to those in South Africa, a huge activist. But Trevor would go and visit him along with people from the church. They'd go and visit him, take communion to him. And he said, you never know how your words and actions will influence another. Be thoughtful, be kind, and listen to the wisdom of your hearts when dealing with others. He reminded us that he had been baptized in the Methodist church as a child. His father was a school teacher, and he taught at a school, a Methodist school. But one day, Desmond's sister decided she wanted to go to the Anglican church. And so the whole family went across to the Anglican church, and that's how he became an Anglican. And he said, and look, with that action of my sister in encouraging us to go to the Anglican church did for me. He might well have progressed very well in the Methodist church but for him it was important. We are all sages in one way or another and influence others through our words and actions I'm sure if you think in your life to a passing comment from someone a note a letter something that somebody had said to you in conversation that has struck and changed an attitude or transformed your life We need each other's wisdom and nurture. We are one, ubuntu, Tutu would say. I am, only because you are. I am, because you are. We need each other. And we need to show it all our love, and perhaps even with a cuddle or two. So thank you for listening to that wisdom of a sage who came into my life and brought the treasure and the gifts. He was a man who wept easily and laughed easily. I was saying earlier, there were two times when Desmond's shoulders shook, once when he was laughing and once when he was weeping. He danced. The stories and pictures that you see of Desmond dancing, he danced. And through it all, there was hope. And he was a beacon of light in the darkness, a beacon of hope that saw us all through All of us. And so I say in tribute, rest in peace and tata. Lala and gololo. And thank you. Amen.